Hey, this is the Schwartz. You're listening to what is that show again? Wood Talk Online. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my favorite friend, Mark, on Wood Talk Online. You're listening to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are your hosts, Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlis, and maybe somebody else. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 33 for April 1st, 2008. I'm Mark Spagnolo, and that's no joke. And I'm Matt Vanderlist, and some people consider me to be a joke. Uh, well, it is April <laughs> Fool's Day, so I guess that makes it perfectly fine for that to happen today. But no more after that, people. Yeah. So anyway, if you have a comment, question, suggestion, of course, even if it's a, a, a foolish one for today, you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you know what? You can pick up your phone and leave us a message like quite a few of you have. But please, we are not interested in changing our long distance, and uh, <laughs> we have already given at the office. But if you want to, give us a call at 623-242-2450, and we are waiting by the phone for your calls. Operators are available at all times. They are standing so, by. That's right. Ah, Mark, Excellent. it has been a while. It, it definitely, we, we were trying to keep up there for a little while with our you know once a week, but you know what? The flu bit me hard last mm, week. If you had seen it? me, yeah, it's a good thing we don't have video conferencing when we do <laughs> these things because it was the most hideous thing you have ever possibly seen. My wife still is not even coming anywhere near me, and it's a week out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we're uh, we're flu-free so far. Um, I, I think the uh, the flu bug is scared of the heat, but that's terrible, man. So you were out for a good week. Uh, I guess no woodworking? No, none whatsoever. I Actually, the worst part about it is I had finally purchased a uh, Lee Nielsen rip style dovetail saw and I was dying. I mean, literally dying to get down into my shop, to try it out. But my biggest fear was getting down the stairs and basically being so weak that there was no way in the world I could get back up, let alone actually pick it up. So that's when I, I had my like feverish hallucinations all <laughs> week long thinking about that poor saw. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's crazy. Um, you know, there's absolutely nothing at this point. Everything I'm doing is on the computer. So nothing going on, uh, in my shop. So Tell me about your uh, your class that you had. Oh yeah, with uh, Mr. Christopher Schwartz, oh, my yeah. my idol. Yeah. Now, oh, well, well, here's here's a theory for you. Maybe you got sick because the reality of it is that Christopher Schwartz is actually sort of like an all powerful alien of or or some all powerful being, and you get near him and he sucks a little bit of your life away. And maybe I, he just took all of your immunity and you got sick. I, I could see that, or there's like the other way, like he, he infects you with a bug. I have the Schwartz <laughs> bug, now. and thus my, my hand tool experience is going to get even I'm, even more expensive. Is what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? There's that. I think both of those theories have merit. Um, and you know, the other thing I wanted to make sure we we sort of talked about the um, the Oprah comment um, mm. concerning concerning Chris, and I do want to make sure everybody knows who started that because I was listening to uh, uh, the modern woodshop podcast right and he yep. was talking about that and i'm like it's clear who started that i just want to make sure that everyone knows that uh, dave coined that phrase and not us because i think we kind of <laughs> pushed it out a little bit further <laughs> uh, a little bit further than he planned it going <laughs> yeah i don't uh i don't want to take credit for for that genius as much as i wish i came up with that so uh right yeah anywho tell oh. us tell us all about this class 
Okay, well, this uh, it was a couple of weeks ago that I actually attended this class, and let me tell you, um, I, I had to drive across state, nervous the whole entire time I got there. <laughs> but well, once I got in the class, I had like I had told people I was going to be the giddy little kid in the back uh, the back of the class, and I was <laughs> I was so quiet. But Chris uh, Schwartz really has this demeanor about him that he's he's an excellent teacher, really gets everything across, and he really took the time. And the, the one thing I really loved about it was that at, up at the front of the class on his workbench. He had laid out every imaginable hand tool that you've ever seen, you know, modern ones, old ones. He had both versions of the, the brand new router uh, planes themselves. Wow. And the neat thing about it was he was the kid in class that let you actually touch and play with those tools. Nice. So, now yeah, wait, I mean, he, it was. Does he bring those on the road with him? Apparently, yeah. He has. He had an assistant with him, and he had that whole workbench just filled. And of course, you know he's he's famous for like all the saws that he has, the custom made ones. He had the Kenyan back saw, the, right. the this and that, and he had all of those there that you could play with too. And it was wow. just, you know, it was it was really really neat. And this is one thing that kind of shocked me. But he was saying he actually you know paid for all those himself. They weren't freebies from the manufacturer apparently. So I'm like, this is even better. I could break somebody else's toy that they paid for versus <laughs> actually getting one that you know so you could easily be man- you know replaced by the manufacturer. So that was. There was, although there was a little bit of nervousness in there with that, yeah. but still, a, you know, a chance to actually play with some of these tools that I've really, really been debating whether I was going to use or not was was a was a nice you know experience with it. Well, just being able well, to compare them to one another and and see you know a lot of times we buy certain things and especially I know when I get into hand tools, a lot of times I'll make an assumption about which one I think I'm going to like, but it's not based on actual experience using them. So I pick it up and it either works or it doesn't, but. It must be great to have them all there right in front of you so you can see what makes this saw different than that one, which one feels better in your hand, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the things is, you know, one of the big saws that everybody's talking about right now, which really isn't a big saw, uh, it's actually one of the smaller back saws is that progressive pitch uh, saw mm, from the yeah. uh-huh. Had one of those there. I really didn't have a chance to play with it, but I was listening to some of the comments of the other guys that were in the class, and a lot of them were saying, well, this is a really great thing. But when Chris kind of sat down, and of course, one of the first things he did for the, the lecture was basically kind of uh, broke out and talked about, you know, like, you know, what what we should be looking for in in hand saws themselves and kind of the history of it, which there's really a lot of information that's lost. And you made some great points about, you know, what what it is that we no longer know about hand saws. And I was just Hmm. dumbfounded because I'm like, I didn't know a lot in the first place. Now I know (laughs) even even less than I did before. Yeah, yeah. But really, if anybody is really interested in finding out more about it, I mean, obviously you could take the class with him. But in the most recent issue of Woodworking Magazine, which I, I didn't subscribe to it yet, I just went to the I like I like going to the book stand, book stand once in a while, the magazine stand, grabbing my cup of coffee, spilling it on the uh, the, the magazines, you know, <laughs> get chased out. Yeah. But um, in the actual new issue, uh, pretty much the class that he taught. Um, he has an article in that is almost word for word uh, what is going on in the class itself, which is actually the name of the article is How to Saw and uh, even Understanding Western Backsaws, where he kind of breaks everything down. Uh, so if you pick up the magazine article, you can actually read basically what I paid to learn, although I did learn a few other things, which I'm not going to share with anybody <laughs> because they're mine. If you want to, if you, if you want to learn them, you got to take the class. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a really neat insight to it. Now, I've got to ask you a question. Do you know how many types of saw cuts there actually are when it comes to a hand saw? Personally, myself, hmm. I thought there was just one. I'm going to say um, 732. 
No, that's how many it takes me to get to the bottom. Uh, how many licks <laughs> it takes to get to the bottom of a tootsie roll pop? <laughs> oh, there you go. So, how many different cuts? Like, what do you mean? Different ways of addressing the wood, or different ways to yeah. hold the saw, or? Well, actually, I guess it's kind of the the ways to actually cut the wood itself. Now, there are there are actually like well, actually, let's call them classes. Is really kind of what he called them. So there's like a first class, there's a second class, and a third class. So that makes three of them. Oh, okay. And, and, and it's very much think of like the same thing as when we're actually like dimensioning lumber. Like a, a third class is like your most basic rough dimensioning when it comes down to it. So this would be you want to cut a board to a short, uh, shorter length, then you use a third class cut to just you know cut it down to a shorter length. Then there's like a second class cut where you want it to look a little bit nicer, but it's maybe going to be kind of like a hidden joint kind of a thing. Okay. So can actually take the time to maybe make like a little initial cut where the blade is going to get started and thus it looks a little bit nicer and then a first class well this is when just like the name implies you want it to look like a first class joint so he shows us how he showed in the class and even explains i do believe in the in the actual article how you can actually uh prepare the actual joint line so when you come in with the saw you can actually saw to the depth that you need get the whole joint going but in the end it looks perfect and it actually came out looking like something i did on my table saw wow and i I was really really shocked about it so yeah it it, it took a little practice it it definitely we got to make one of those famous uh chris schwartz saw benches and that was that was a lot of fun great so yep and it turned out i'm a lot shorter than anybody else in the class so when he said we had to (laughs) cut the legs down to a certain height i had to go about two or three extra inches to get mine to that right height so there's a lot of a lot of uh wood that was sitting on the floor as a result of it (laughs) man that's funny yeah but you know one of the things i loved about these classes and it's really like this is my first made first real class that i ever went to um there's all these other people that were in there and it's just that camaraderie and it was just a, a lot and it turns out my my saw partner, my my workbench partner, actually was a big saw collector, hmm. and so I got to try out some hand saws like from like the eighteen fifties, eighteen sixties. Wow! And he's yeah, he's still using them, and they're in perfect working condition. And if anything, no offense to the modern day makers, but um, these ones were like a lot heavier, so they made the work go a lot faster. And it was. It's definitely worth it. So wow. I say, if anybody has a chance to pick up a class like this, uh, definitely give it a shot. So you think the the stuff that you learn, you'll be able to, you know, sort of implement a practical application of that with your work now? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I've been, as soon as I got home, I started practicing and I've been trying practice, except for, of course, last week when I was a little fluish. Sure. But I'm almost making up excuses now to actually turn to the, uh, the, the hand saws themselves and try and put everything into practice. Cause, you know, there's a lot of things that it just, I mean, we think about hand sawing. It's just a matter of grabbing the hand saw and then just start cutting. But if you if you learn the proper posture for working with them, it's insane how much faster it actually goes yeah. and how much easier it is. I mean, something as simple as just learning to hold the the, the saw the right way, it was the difference between night and day. And I, I was I was I was a little skeptical going into it. I was almost thinking, I'm just buying these things so that they look pretty on the wall is what it really right. goes down to. Right, yeah. <laughs> But by the end, it's like one of those. These now are are going to be a workhorse in in my shop, you know, to, to a large degree. And I'm really really looking forward to putting a lot more into action. And I'm hoping to maybe I'm going to probably do some videos and stuff to uh, demonstrate a few of these things. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's really really neat, and it's, it was a lot of fun. So I definitely cool. say check it out. Good deal, man. Yeah, I, I think with these classes, a lot of times. Um, you know, you mentioned being skeptical about whether you were actually going to use it and, and what you might learn in the class and things like that. I know for me, I actually, 
the more I learn, the more I, I get in my tool belt and understand, excuse me, here I go drinking soda and burping. Um, <laughs> the more I understand, the more I think you tend to come into these classes with these preconceptions of how things are done or how they should be done. And it becomes increasingly important to clear your mind when you go in there and think about nothing but what that person is telling you so that you could, you know, sort of be more objective about what they're saying. And you might, you know, if you're you're always thinking about what you already know and comparing it to what you're being told, you're really going to start closing your mind off to some new possibilities. And there's, you know, you you know, as well as I do, there's hundreds of ways to do this, this thing we call woodworking. Um, you know, so it's just important that, you know, that, that you sort of clear your mind, t- take it in for everything that it is, and then, you know, think about it afterwards. But, uh, you know, something like that basic sawing is like a fundamental woodworking thing. But in reality, you can probably tell us now just how much we don't know and how a lot of us are doing it wrong. We're just grabbing the saw and sawing and not thinking right. anything beyond that. Right. And like I said, I, I've been going through the, sh- the notes and then when I found this article, you know, even reading the article, there's things that I'm revisiting them like, oh, yeah. That, that, yeah, that makes sense. And and you're right there. I've, I've been thinking, I've been looking at some more classes of uh, various schools that are out there. And I've been almost thinking about taking a few where in in fields that are like something, you know, I, I feel like I'm already familiar with, like when it comes right. to, you know, dimensioning lumber or not necessarily dimensioning, but like uh, milling lumber and stuff like that. But there is that part of it that I'm like, you know what, mm-hmm. I really want to get another take on this because it is, if you can get that fresh take, you know, even if you only incorporate one or two aspects of it, it makes you that much better of a woodworker Oh yeah, because maybe it's one or two aspects that you were falling a little short on. Not, nothing wrong with filling in the gaps, you know. Right, and I'm always going to fall short on stuff, so there's no getting <laughs> From the sound of your, uh, your legs there, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. We have a news bulletin. Uh-oh, what's going on? This is hot right off the presses, of course. It, it, nobody else knows this, apparently. I don't know. This, maybe a few of you have been keeping track of this. But here in Wood Talk Online News Central, something big is developing. And we're just going gonna to go right now out into the field. Matt, are you out there? <clears throat> yeah, but I think we should go back into the conference area because I'm really bad out here in the field. Uh, everybody, congratulations to Mark and Matt, um, me being Matt. It is our one-year anniversary today of Wood Talk Online. Woo! I know many of you. Yeah, woo! Are probably like, you know, where do we send the checks? Uh, we'll find that out later on. But more importantly, we, this kind of snuck up on us, actually, both of us. We were kind of, as we were getting ready for today, it's like one of those, um, hey, April Fool's, but I think it's our anniversary. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally, it was, I was like, well, I knew it was in April sometime, but I forgot that we actually started on April's uh, April Fool's Day, and uh, it, it's been a full year. That's right. So one year ago, this started, and I think most people are like, this is the biggest joke I've ever heard. Can you you believe these guys? I mean, Mark's not so bad. Matt, though, that laugh is killing us. (laughs) Uh, No, they just can't believe we've we've actually uh, persevered this long. Um, Actually, this is episode, what, 33? So we, you know, we're not doing a weekly thing, but it's it's getting pretty close to weekly, and uh, not too bad considering it's a side project for both of us. Right, you know, and we've had a couple of incarnations of Wood Talk Online. Actually, we really tried hard with the, uh, the kind of a magazine format where we had some great people, you know, yep. contribute to it. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, guest people come on here. We had Tom come on here, so right. we've mixed it up a little bit, and we've tried a lot, and we will continue to be mixing it up as we go on. Yep. So you know, it definitely we thank everybody for making it like one year of just a, a, a lot of fun. I mean, Mark and I definitely have 
a, a lot of fun putting the, the, this together. Believe it or not, I know it sounds like there's a little animosity between us. I, you know, but it's <laughs> yeah, all constantly. <laughs> We hate each other. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we, like- we have. We have tried a number of ideas, and some of them pan out, some don't. And just, just to set the record straight, the reason Tom hasn't been on is purely my fault. Uh, the, the, as I explained to Tom, we just when Matt and I do a show, we have it down to, to a system at this point that it goes very quickly, and it doesn't take a whole lot of work. And I'm just so busy with the other things I'm working on right now that I haven't had an opportunity uh, to, to essentially write Tom into the show. So it's it's completely my fault. But Tom will be back. And a few of the ideas, I know Matt's got some good ideas. Um, you know, we just decided to start incorporating some people as like separate segments of the show with pre-recorded little tips and things like that. And that that could get really fun. You know, we can get lots yeah, of different definitely. people to uh, to send us little hints and tips. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, yep. But who knows? I think I mean, one of our biggest our biggest failures so far has been my idea of like the smell o vision, which definitely didn't work out in the video portion, and that's completely my fault. We should have done it after Mexican Day here in the van hotel. So also, yeah, that just didn't pan out so well. But anyway, you know, happy anniversary, Matt. Sorry I didn't get you any chocolates or anything, but uh, that's okay. It's, I understand. It's it's the thought that counts. So happy anniversary to you. Yeah, there you People, go. People, shoulder this afternoon <laughs> <laughs> lovely uh no dinner for me tonight that's uh, right <laughs> well enough about that let's uh let's move into some uh some stuff here it's kind of a random show today we've got a uh, one voicemail and a couple of emails here that i think we should read some really okay. good information I- I think the the listeners are just lucky because originally my plans for uh, April Fool's Day for Wood Talk Online was 45 minutes of silence. So you guys are just lucky. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I, I, I sit here and think, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a jokester, you know? I'm a wise guy, and yeah. I am, you know, it would be very typical for me to do some kind of a, um, you know, April 1st joke, and I, I can't think of anything that wouldn't just anger a bunch of people. Like everything I think of would just really, really make people mad. Um, yeah, so, so that's, I figured, that's what I was. <laughs> yeah, so I figured, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> you know? We'll be the one show that doesn't do it, so that you'll keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, we, we got people hanging on by a thread here in the first place. Let's not uh, let's not push them off. <laughs> Plus, they have sharp tools, so we don't want to deal with people like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Frank gave us a. Um, a couple of links here and had an excellent email. You know, we talk about turbines all the time. We talk about uh, turbines as an alternative to compressor-based units and conversion guns. And, uh, you know, the thing is there are some guns out there that are, that you know, that will work. So if you're you're really not looking for the best, you're just looking for something that works and gets the job done, um, you know, and who knows, maybe some of them could compete with uh, some of the better HVLP units out there. I don't know because I haven't had much hands-on. Um, but Frank sent us an email, and I'm going to read it to you that just gives us some really useful information and a great website. Sweet. All right, he says, Mark and Matt, I've been looking for a decent spray gun that can run off my rather anemic <laughs> compressor. I have a 5-horsepower 22... He calls that anemic? We should see mine. Uh, yeah, I should see my little pancake <laughs> one that's, like, you know, flattened under the bench. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the pocket-sized one. Um I've got a 5-horsepower, 22-gallon compressor that supplies air for nailers, a homemade vacuum chuck for the lathe, and various other uh, shop tasks. It's certainly not meant for production spraying and delivers only 6.5 CFM at 40 PSI. In my research, I found a relatively new, new to me anyway, spray gun technology called LVLP, and that's, um, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that's low-volume, low-pressure 
AKA conversion guns are essentially HVLP guns that use a higher external pressure than HVLP and then in-gun conversion from high to low pressure, typically at a 4 to 1 ratio. This means that you can supply 40 PSI to the gun and you get 10 PSI at the nozzle. Now, for, you'll see those terms around there a lot. Uh, people refer to guns as conversion guns, and that's basically what it is. It's converting the high pressure of your compressor to a low enough pressure that the gun can handle it, and that's why they call them conversion guns. Anyway, back to the email. Benefits to LVLP are that you get a higher transfer efficiency over pressure guns, not quite as high as HVLP, reduced overspray, not quite as low as HVLP, and in most cases, you can use your existing compressor. So, huge advantage there. Yeah. All right. He says, uh, there are lots out there, but I chose the, I don't even know the name of this company, Astro, A-S-T-U-R-O, E-C-O-S-X. So the Astro line is available from a number of sources, such as SprayGunWorld.com and Homestead Finishing, uh, Jeff Jewett's site. Uh, Jeff is the next Flexner and is a very helpful fellow. What if, I thought Flexner might be the next Jeff. Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, what are you talking about? He didn't, you know, Jeff is way beyond Flexner. So, so who, which came first, the Jewett or the Flexner? <laughs> that's the, that's really the question. Anyway, I found that's a very debated for years. <laughs> right, I found a very useful tool online that might help some of your listeners who are looking into spraying with a smaller compressor. And this is the real reason I wanted to read this. This is going to help a lot of people. It's called the Wood Wizard. It helps us deter- users determine what guns might be compatible with their compressor and desired use. Here's the URL, and we will go to SprayGunWorld.com, and uh, we'll provide the link in the show notes. Um, as you move through the steps of selecting the equipment, each of the different choices are explained on the left of the page. For instance, in step two, you select your preference uh, of gravity, pressure, or suction feed, and the benefits and detriments of each are described. Finally, it listed uh, a number of guns that would suit your application. So my gun is on its way uh, to the great white north as I write this. If you're interested, I'll let you know how the results turn out. And that's Frank. So I did go to the website. It looks really neat. So you, it's literally a, a four-step wizard. You tell it you know, what your compressor is capable of, and it spits back a few options for different guns. So I think if... You know, we talk about the, the Erlex turbine uh, being mm-hmm. very inexpensive, but it's still, comparatively speaking, to just buying a conversion gun, you know, an inexpensive conversion gun, you may be spending quite a bit more money for that self-contained independent system. So right. if you already got a little compressor, you know, and you just want to see if it can handle a certain gun, if it's rated enough to handle that gun, this is where you go. Nice. Yeah, very yeah, cool. And you're, you're right. I, I kind of flipped through it real quick as you were talking. I'm sorry I wasn't not paying attention to you, but, you know, it is our anniversary. You forgot to get me something. <laughs> That's right. So. Getting the cold shoulder still. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, yeah, they definitely walked right through it. And once you know, answered the few questions that were there, this could easily be something that you, the listeners, would, would really want to check out if you're interested in getting, going for this full. Thanks a lot, Frank. This yeah, is fantastic. thank you. Most definitely. This is the, the best anniversary gift I've gotten yet today. <laughs> <laughs> me too. All right. Um, I did get a Dr. Pepper today. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, you know, I'll let you read the, the, the next one, but let me, let me just give this other link. Uh, Scott actually emailed us and said, what is it? This is about the photo booth, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the- I, I have what I consider to be a pretty inexpensive photo booth from, uh, Steve, uh, Kaser lighting. And this one is kind of like a DIY little project, uh, on somebody's blog. So we're going to uh, provide the link for that as well. Um, but the website is uh, 
Strobist or Strobist, S-T-R-O-B-I-S-T dot blogspot dot com. Right. And, and uh, Strobus is how I would pronounce it. So Strobus. it probably is pronounced the other way. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, so go there and just search for um, uh, photo studio and or photo booth and it'll probably come up. But we'll give you the link in the show notes. Um, but again, right. I think that one's cardboard and tissue paper or something. And boom, you got yourself a photo booth. So that's pretty sweet. That's right. And the next thing you know, you're posting some amazing pictures and potentially getting clients. So who couldn't you know, wish for more than that? Well, I know whenever I used to go in the forums and see people post pictures and, you know, the, you can tell the people who've put a little bit more effort into their shots or uh, have had them done professionally. It's always like, God, you know, th- sometimes just the photography can make work look that much better. You know, if you if you just see it, you know, if seeing it in place where it's living is fine, but you know, seeing something on a carpeted floor next to a couch in a living room is not quite as elegant or exciting as the, the real nice studio shots. Uh, right. Yeah. There's the studio shot or there's the Polaroid that somebody borrowed from their grandmother so that they could take the picture. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you have that other email there? I sure do. This okay. one is from Shannon. Uh, he wrote in a while ago and he said, you know, another great episode. Mark, I think since the Schwartz is now the Oprah of the woodworking world, you could go for the title of Ed McMahon in Woodworking Star Search or Simon Cowell in Woodworking Idol. Hello. So it seems that since you started mentioning Kaleo on the Woodwork on the Wood Whisperer and also on Wood Talk Online, he has developed quite a following. And now that you will be featuring him on the next episode of the uh, the Wood Whisperer, I'm sure his star will continue to rise. A mention of modern workshop on Wood Talk Online, and I find myself now using words like toolishness in everyday <laughs> conversations, which amazingly I do it too. Wait, no, I use foolishness. Yeah, to, either way. So, okay, now the next one he says is the teenage woodworker now has a following, which has been, which is being shadowed by Woodshop Freak on uh, Lumberjocks, thanks to your mention on Wood Talk Online. You have built a household name that we all trust in the Wood Whisperer and the Wood Whisperer Network, which is the hub for woodworking social networking. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. I thought, now, that, was, I I thought that was Lumberjocks. <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently you have surpassed them. Don't tell Martin. No. So. Uh, yeah, not sure about that, but. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. So he goes on to say that I love what you're trying to do and please keep it up. I guess if ever I wanted to start a podcast in this venue, then I should seek you out and get the Godfather's blessing to be sure I am successful. That oh, is Godfather. correct. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> no, what exactly ends up in their bed if they say no? Is it like a chopped up uh, iPod? <laughs> uh, a piece of figured wood that's just completely destroyed. Oh, some blood wood. <laughs> yeah, a, little, a little blood wood that's just been, you know, uh, reduced to chips and just, you know, would terrify any woodworker. Okay. So, so she had a, <laughs> I just suddenly had an image of some mutilated zebra wood. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You just wake up in the middle of the night. Ah! Find out it was just a dream. <laughs> yeah. Or a bad splinter. Okay. So. Shannon goes on and says that, Matt, if Mark is the Simon Cowell, that doesn't mean you should shoot for Randy or Paula. Uh, I'd probably go for Randy. I watched the Paula show on E! and it's it's not pretty. So uh, let's see. Uh, I don't think I could handle that. But by the way, I love the latest Matt's Basement Workshop episode on play, uh, block plane chamfering. I'm looking forward to more technique-type episodes where – uh, where now and and that you uh, the laid the groundwork for certain tools you talk about real world applications for how to do them great work and glad to hear that you and the family are feeling better have a great time this weekend at the saw class uh, and he says he himself at, at the point that he was writing this was heading off to a three day Windsor chair class at his wood court, uh, woodcraft and and couldn't wait hmm. to get there cool 
Yes. Well, thank you, Shannon. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we, we, we do the best we can to be as entertaining as possible. Um, I, sometimes uh, better than others. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote him back and I said, you know, the best part of your email is me envisioning Matt as Paula Abdul. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it doesn't get better some, than yeah. that. I got some legs, let me tell you. <laughs> They're a lot shorter than most people's. <laughs> uh, straight up now, tell me. All right. Let's see what we got here. Um, you know what? We do have one voicemail uh, before we uh, call this one quits. And let me see if I can find it here for you. And this one actually is a good one for uh, for Matt to answer. Oh, it's because it's our anniversary. <laughs> there you go. It's all about me. <laughs> hey, guys. It's Mark from Maryland. Uh, thanks for putting together a great show. i got a question for you about uh, sharpening my plane irons. For my hand planes, um, I've read that the corners should be rounded just a little bit to keep from getting uh, plane marks on the wood, and I'm still trying to figure out how to exactly go about doing that. I'm, I'm loath to take my Lee Nielsen plane irons to my grinder, but uh, maybe that's required. And uh, after they're rounded over, how do you go about sharpening that rounded edge? I have the uh, Veritas... Um, sharpening jig for the blade and it works quite well but it keeps the blade perfectly flat against the stone thanks what say you mr vanderlist okay so when it comes to cambering a blade there's like the easy way and the easier way as far as i'm concerned without having to go to the actual grinder itself and and one one uh, a great video for that demonstrates this technique. I uh, just recently talked about it on the show was was the David Charlesworth hand plane technique part one, mm. uh, hand plane uh, sharpening for, through Lee Nielsen. And the the one thing when it comes down to it, I'm going to describe the absolute easiest way, which is take a file and actually you can kind of just nip the corners, just kind of just go along, you know, up towards the edge and just kind of knock down couple of quick strokes and you're just going to kind of knock it down a little bit and just round it over that way now that's easy and it's not going to do anything i know a lot of people probably just like started like what the hell is he talking about (laughs) you're going to destroy a perfectly beautiful blade but trust me you're not going to now the easier way is and i do this all, all the time is i take my coarsest stone or i'll even take like my coarsest sandpaper or something i'll stand the blade actually on edge so that it's actually balancing on the tip that i want to round over and just using the weight of the blade itself i'll kind of pull it back and kind of round it almost like i'm kind of like like a whipping effect like i'm just going to kind of whip it backwards and this will actually round it give it a nice little subtle roundness so that it takes off that that square edge because as he was describing, you know, it's that square edge that's going to leave those marks as you're actually planning. Right. Now, it only takes a couple of passes really to do this. And I, like I said, I, I always kind of use the weight of the blade itself. I might add a little extra finger pressure to push it down as I'm doing this. But I want to kind of round it just slightly. Just hold it up, look at it. You'll notice if it's rounded. Hmm. Now, when it comes to actually putting the camber on it itself, you know, we're not going to have it as heavy as what we see Chris Schwartz or even to some degree David Charlesworth demonstrated. But using this technique, you'll, you'll get in the ballpark and you'll get the, exactly the same results that you're looking for. Now, the Veritas sharpener that he's talking about, I'm familiar with it's the one I own. And they actually have um, a second base that you can get so that you can do this cambering effect. But really, the, the, you, the easiest way to do this is um, if you don't have that kind of cambering, the rounded one that you're going to use, use the square one. And as you are sharpening the blade like you normally would do, you're, you're pulling the, the blade back so that it's going to start getting that bevel on it. Push only in the corners. Push extra 
pressure down in the corners and pull back so that only the corners are actually, you know, touching the surface itself. Now, if you have one of these Veritas jigs where it's the square and you'll notice that it doesn't quite push down, um, do something like what David Charlesworth described where basically just take a, a thin piece of cardboard or a thin piece of paper, well, thick piece of paper is what I should say, like construction paper thickness, and put that on the one corner and that way it'll it'll raise it up so there's a slight angle to the to the actual jig itself and this will give you that that lift that you need so that you can just touch the corners do like you know maybe let's say five passes just on the one corner switch it up go to the other side so let's say you start on the right switch it up now go to the left side push only down to the left hand corner push down on that maybe another five passes lift it up look at the blade and you'll notice immediately that the corners now are a little bit deeper the the bevel itself you're starting to kind of get this you know the, this camber effect on it believe it or not hmm. and that once you've done this just kind of put the blade back down and now just move over slightly so that you're halfway between the center of the blade and maybe halfway between the actual edge itself push down here but only take a couple of passes because essentially what you want to do is you want to actually make it so that the outside corners have been touched the most and then as you work your way in towards the center that one's not going to be there's not as much material removed and what ends up happening is in the end you get this nice cambered effect so that when you go to do it you'll find that you get the same exact result there's no ridges you know, of course, you're going to make light passes with it, but that's that's how you get yourself started on it. It's really, really easy, and it, it it sounds kind of complicated, but trust me, it's 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 really super simple, and you never ever ever have to get that blade near a grinder. No, that sounds and, that sounds great. The grinder scares me a little bit, but the you know those methods sound reasonable. Yeah, and the nice thing about it is you're not going to be over have the potential of overheating the metal itself. I mean, a couple of passes with a file, I guarantee it's going to be rounded over nice and nice and easy. And even like I said, even easier with the weight of the blade itself. Um, I use like my 220 diamond stone, and it's nice and and cambered in a matter of like maybe three or four uh, strokes on each side. Nice, nice. Those all sound really good, but you know what I usually do. I just take the the uh, the iron and I, I smack it into the concrete at each corner, throw it back in, and it's perfect. Oh, good, good, yeah. And and how, how's that splintering <laughs> effect going on on that bench top, buddy? <laughs> hey, man, I'm into the quick and dirty methods. You got to do what you got to do. And if not if not concrete, then just a cinder block. That's fine. There you go. Or once in a while, I notice myself I've been called blockhead, so I could probably just knock it on my forehead a couple of times. Hey, there you go. That's an idea. Jeez. No, that's a really good information. I think it makes a huge difference in the in the quality of the the curls and just not not catching that nasty uh, edge on there that that really shows you know when you're doing a, a big wide surface. You know, it's it could be a real pain in the butt. So that's great. Right, nothing is worse than kind of going along, going, "Ooh, look at the nice smooth edge." As you're feeling across it, and you got all those ripples. Yeah, that's never a good thing. So, we got another great uh, voicemail here from Craig. So let's take a listen. Hi, uh, Mark and Matt. This is uh, Craig in Springfield, Ohio. Hey, I just uh, watched the episode with uh, Kaleo, and you know, he was talking about um, what he plans to do, and he he mentioned that he wanted to do kind of production work. And it got me thinking about something I wanted to ask you, and that is, uh, is there anything that we as woodworkers can do that uh, production, like uh, assembly line type places or, you know, places using CNCs can't do? Uh, For example, can 
uh, a big shop that makes production work. Can they do mortise and tendons? Can they do through tendons using you know CNCs? Um, so I just got to thinking about if you know there's no way that Kaleo or any of us is going to be able to do work better, faster, and cheaper than like a, a CNC machine. And I just kind of wondered, you know, what their limits were. You know, is there anything that we can do as woodworkers that they're not able to do? And uh, kind of another thing I wanted to, to bring up is, um, Mark, last time you brought up something about Festool, you almost seemed uh, apologetic to be bringing it up. And you must get a lot of grief from some of the listeners uh, getting upset with you for <clears throat> liking Festool so much. And I just wanted to... Uh, say that uh, I, I'm so happy with all my Festool. Um, as you might remember, I just switched over to a bunch of Festool stuff in my shop, and I've just never been happier. I'm a, a Festool junkie now. I just can't get enough of it, and I just wanted to uh, maybe mention to the listeners that uh, they truly are good tools. I know that they're expensive, and they kind of get a, a, a bad reputation out there for that, but uh, they truly are, and, and I'm not getting paid anything or I'm not getting any free tools to say this, but they are they are 100% awesome tools. Thanks. Love the show. Have a good day. Bye. So to answer Craig's question, we have a new little feature here uh, called Kaleo's Tips from the Workshop. And we'll probably have other tips from other woodworkers as well, but we're going we're gonna, to uh, start it off here with one from Kaleo. What's up, everybody? This is Kaleo from Kaleo'sWorkshop.com, bringing you Tips from the Workshop. So what is it that we woodworkers can do that automated machines can't do? Well, there's probably a long list of things, but I'm only going to focus on two real quick. The first is that we can work in any thickness and dimension we want to. When a furniture production company starts up, they tool up and they tend to work in a universal thickness. If you notice, when you go to a furniture store, you'll see uh, tabletops and bookcases and lines of furniture all the same universal thickness, which is usually about three-quarters of an inch. Now, this is because it aids in the speed of production. They only have to work in a certain, set all the machines to a certain thickness, and they can just go. Now, the next time we design pieces of furniture, we should design them differently, use different thicknesses, use more or less than three-quarters of an inch. This will automatically set you off and set you apart from the mass-produced furniture. The second tip is to use specialty joinery. There aren't too many machines out there that can cut a nice set of dovetails, that can cut a through mortise and tenon and wedge it, uh, that can cut nice finger joints. No, not true. Most machines cut pretty good finger joints. <laughs> so next project, use specialty joinery. The furniture companies don't because it takes too much time, but we can afford that little bit of time because we're doing it by hand, and believe me, this will set you apart from everything else. So those are the tips for this week. Stay tuned for plenty more tips to come in the weeks to follow. This is Kaleo Kala from Kaleosworkshop.com reminding you that the best wood is in the crotch. Peace. Awesome. Thank you very much, Kaleo. We look forward to future uh, installments of tips from the workshop. So, well, I'll tell you what, dude. I think our one-year anniversary uh, show is coming to a close, even though, you know, we didn't really do anything special. But, you know, it's kind of like... I don't know. It's, I think my fifth year anniversary is coming up, and I don't think we're going to do anything special. But that is with, oh. my, with my wife. That is. Oh, okay. I'm like, yeah. I didn't know we were going to do anything special for you guys. So, uh, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's no big deal. But uh, yeah, that, I think that that's amazing. One year, that's pretty cool. And and you know what? In yeah. podcasting world, a year is a big deal. A year is like a decade for a lot of shows. Kind of and, is. And, yeah, and and ours has been like a century. 
So <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> it feels like a century, Matt. Hey, you know what? Well, I actually, um, for just for uh, for fun, I went back and listened to episode one, and oh. you know, I was expecting to be embarrassed or like, but well, let's put it this way: I wasn't any more embarrassed than I usually am. Um, right. But it actually wasn't too bad. I mean, we were reading in the beginning. You can hear us reading that little scripted part, but it was our first show. So why why the heck not? Um, right. But it wasn't that bad. You should go listen to it. It's actually uh, reasonable. Okay, I'll see what I can do. No, it, it has gotten a lot easier. And I have to tell everybody, you know, the number one question at the Wood Show, at the Wood class I took was, what is Mark like in real life? And I <laughs> lied my, you know, my butt off. I'm like, he is the biggest prima donna I've ever worked with. <laughs> His list of demands is unbelievable, but no, it, it's been the it's been the best year ever. And you're right; it, it makes it so easy for the two of us. Is it's just it flows so much in so much easier. And if people only knew what the fun we had off site, you know, before the recording starts, nobody yeah. wants anybody to have that much fun. Yeah, you know, the bottom line is it was always meant to be a conversation between two woodworkers and sharing whatever information we can. Um, I don't think we ever really claimed that it was going to be you know this revolutionary instructional audio program i mean we're talking about woodworking we're, we're talking right. about woodworking you know so it's like you can only do so much with that format you know so making people visualize things is very tricky and i mean you of all people know that you do it constantly so um you know i think we we are meeting our goal i think we're both having fun and that's why we're still doing it and the response is good we know we have a steady increase in listeners as time goes on and uh we'll keep doing it as long as people keep listening that's right. You know what? If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, there's a couple of different ways you can get a hold of us. We mentioned at the beginning of the uh, the uh, the show itself, and so I'm going to mention it again because I think you need to be reminded because it's you, the listeners, that drive the show. Otherwise, it's me talking even more than I do, and I will giggle a lot more too. Yes. So, of course, drop <laughs> us a line at uh, woodtalkonline at gmail.com or pick up the phone and leave us a voicemail at 623-242-2450. And we love those voicemails, people, so keep them coming in. We absolutely we adore you. We adore that. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, be safe and uh, don't play any April Fool's tricks on anybody because we didn't play any on you. That's right. At least not with live or tools. Yeah, definitely (laughs) not with tools. No jokes around tools. All right, Matt. Well, then uh, I guess in another week we should reconvene and uh, do this thing that we do so well. Absolutely. I say uh, we'll see you back here. We'll talk to you back here. Maybe I'll put a video camera up and I will actually see you. (laughs) Yeah, hey, don't hint to any of our new ideas for uh, for the the, the second year of We'll Talk Online. That's right. We won't be doing the show in smoke signals either. Don't look for in the sky. No more. <laughs> yeah. All right. Then we will uh, we'll catch you all next week and happy and safe woodworking. Take care, everybody. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mark. This is Eric Wells. I'm a contractor out in uh, Springfield, Missouri. Um, back uh, two episodes or three episodes or so, you had talked about the Forstner bits and, and uh, how to, to uh, get a uh, completely flat bottom without having that little divot from the guide of uh, the the Forstner bit, and um, I I've done this a couple of times, especially with hole saws. <clears throat> I've actually drilled out uh, a hole in a, a thin strip of wood, like maybe I don't know half inch, three quarters or something, and then uh, ground off the uh, the guide tip, and then um, then I'll be able to clamp the, the the piece of wood that I drilled out onto my workpiece and uh, drill that down and use it as a guide basically the outer diameter as a guide uh, to go straight down so it works pretty well 
Uh, works really well with full saws as well, being a contractor at all. But uh, love your show. Thank you so much for uh, all the information you give us. Take care. Hey, guys. This is Michael in Chicago, and uh, I have the flu, so pardon me if I sound a little hoarse, but uh, I means I have time on my hands to move slowly and listen to podcasts, and that's what I've been doing, and love the show. Um, but I was listening to episode 30. You were asking about uh, knockdown fittings for a table where another caller in was asking. Um, and I have a little bit of experience with this because I used to do a lot of work in theater props, making tables and furniture and so on for the shows. And in a lot of those cases, uh, what we built had to be incredibly sturdy, uh, immensely tough, uh, but it also needed to come apart easily so that we could take it apart for transportation, put it back together uh, frequently. It, it sometimes had to come apart when it was being stored between shows, um, that kind of thing. So it, it, it was an important part of what we had to do. Um, and we frequently used those uh, metal hanger bolts uh, that Matt was talking about uh, with the wood screw on one side and the bolt on the other. Getting the hole to go in at precisely the right angle into the leg is a bit of a hassle, but uh, if you make a nice little jig, you can make that work. And then they sell little metal clips that you can uh, insert on the back of the leg. You uh, kerf either side of the apron, and then the, the plate clinches the apron pieces into the leg as you tighten the nut down. It's a nice little setup if you remember to cut your kerfs before you put the table together. Um, if you don't, or if you're really, really cheap, you can make uh, wood blocks, this is what I did for a while, um, that actually completely fill in that space. It's sort of like a, a W-shaped, oversized wood block, um, slightly shallower than the apron is, and uh, it, it just completely wraps around the leg on both sides of uh, both faces of it. And also there's it accommodates the hanger bolt, so it tightens the whole thing down as well. That is an immensely sturdy connection. Um, I've had people get up and, and jump and dance on those tables, and the legs do not come apart, but then you just you know flip it over and undo the bolt, and, and the whole thing uh, comes apart pretty easily. So it's a, a nice little thing. It just it takes some work to build that little block in place there. Um, there is a whole world of hardware options for this uh, KD hardware, they call it for knockdown. And if you just look that up online, you will be overwhelmed because of places like IKEA and all of the other mass-produced uh, cabinetry places. They almost exclusively use knockdown hardware. It's cheaper for them to ship it that way. So uh, when it's all flat and then you get to assemble it or some schmuck gets to assemble it somewhere and then it goes into the store. Um, so there's tons and tons of options there. Actually, the problem is more in that place, uh, figuring out which one is best for you and then finding a place who will retail it to you rather than wholesale. Um, but even places like Rockler have uh, a big selection of knockdown stuff. So it's it's definitely a way to go. Um, it's mostly a matter of, yeah, you got to hide your hardware a little bit um, and just put it where in the back, you know, where you would normally probably be attaching something anyway. Um, it's not really your show phase anyway. So uh, you just keep your bolts, heads, and, and things like that uh, buried behind so on things, and that becomes part of your design. You have to think about that, like, what is the audience going to see is what I always used to ask, and then, you know, you work around that because that you don't have to worry about the 
the underside. You probably don't polish that to quite the same level as the top. Anyway, so anyway, that's a rambling response, but uh, I'm sure I'll have others at some other time. I like the show. I'll keep listening. Thanks.